Well, good morning, church. It really is sweet and a privilege to be able to worship together. Um, it's sweet also to see uh, little baby Cornelius here among us. So uh, praise God for his provision uh, and the kids of our church. So if you would please open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9 this morning. At least that's the hope. And so, um, to introduce the message, uh, what we are going to see today is Paul does not waste any time in giving us his purpose for writing this letter. And so Paul here is writing to, as you'll see, uh, the churches of Galatia, there in uh, verse 2. So it's not just one church, it's a region of Galatia. He's writing to several churches in that area. And he is writing them with a specific purpose. He is not just writing them because he... Uh, just wants to see how they're doing. In fact, he knows how they're doing. He knows that there's been enemies um, who have come in and who are teaching a different gospel. And so he is uh, writing to the Galatian church primarily. So this whole letter is in the context of Paul is calling them back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul is calling the churches of Galatia back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so my goal this morning really is simple. Uh, I want to do two things. One, I want to warn you. Today is a warning of the dangers to your faith. That just like in the churches of Galatia, that people can go away from the gospel, start believing a different gospel, the danger lives today. And secondly, it's an exhortation. It's an exhortation to remain firm and believe in the pure gospel of Jesus Christ and nothing else. And so let us turn to prayer uh, to ask God for help. Most gracious Father, we thank you for uh, the opportunity to hear from your word. We thank you for the opportunity just to have your word and to open your word. Lord, you've been kind to reveal yourself to us. Uh, you did not have to. Uh, there was nothing that we did that earned us the opportunity, the ability to learn about you. But uh, Lord, in love, you've gifted us with your word. And so, Father, I pray that this morning that we would treasure it, that we would treasure your word, that we would remain firm that we would be um, aware, Lord, of uh, the enemies all around us seeking to destroy our faith and our souls, Lord, and that you would help us to both be on guard but also trust in you. We pray for our church this morning. pray that you'd help us to be found faithful. pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, let's go ahead and put up the first map there. Uh, Griffin, if we have it. So... It's hard to really tell, but I want to give you a little bit of context of Paul and Galatia. And so, if you'll see there, you're, this is a kind of the big picture map. The area, the region of Galatia is more or less right over there in the red, uh, if you can see it. Uh, more, more or less modern-day modern Turkey uh, is what I think what we're looking at. And so, if you want to go to the next map there, a little bit closer. So, there is a debate. Uh, not really going to get into it because we don't have time about... What exactly are these churches of Galatia that Paul is writing to? Um, and so you have northern Galatia and southern Galatia. And so there's debate. Is Paul writing to the churches in northern Galatia? Is Paul writing to the churches in southern Galatia? You don't have to worry about it. For now, I'm just going to tell you, your pastors think it's the southern churches in Galatia. And so you're looking more or less at that area right there in the circle. Uh, and so what we learn is that Paul actually was in this area um, and Acts 13 and 14, more or less. Acts 13 and 14. And so, um, actually, before we even go to Galatians, why don't you flip back with me uh, to the book of Acts. So just go a few pages back with me. And uh, 
Turn to Galatians. We're not going to read very much. I just want to give you a big picture overview. Galatians chapter 13, verses 14. So here uh, it begins, and Paul uh, goes to Antioch of in Pisidia. And so what happens is Paul, Paul goes to the synagogue, and anyone, the people ask, does anyone have any word? Paul, of course, gets up, gets an any opportunity, like any good pastor would, and said, do you have anything to say? He says, yes, I do have something to say. He gets up, he begins to preach about Jesus. And so then as you keep flipping, verses 42 and 43, uh, we see that people actually started to believe the gospel of Jesus through Paul's ministry. And then verse 44, the next Sabbath day, it says that almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Okay, so Paul's ministry is growing, but that came with a consequence, and that is the Jews that were there, they got jealous of Paul and started to revile Paul in his ministry. And so after that, Paul and Barnabas turned to the Gentiles. And so we'll see verses 48 and 49 there, that the word of God spread, spread even among the Gentiles, but even among the Gentiles, it was not without opposition. So verse 50 there, um, we see that the Jews and the leading men and women stirred up persecution against Paul, and they drove them out of the district. So the beginning of the, the area of Galatia, and then we get to chapter 14. Paul goes to Iconium. Again, he begins to preach, and again, he begins to be opposed by the Jews. So then we see there, verse 2, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they continue to revile Paul. And so, but still, even in the midst of that, Paul remains there in Iconium for a long time. Okay, verse 3 tells us that. But eventually their lives were threatened, and so they fled to Lystra and to Derbe. Then in Lystra there, we have Paul, again, continuing his ministry, preaching the word, doing miracles. Uh, and so we see then, verse 19, uh, we see that the Jews from Antioch and Iconium that were persecuting them were not content with just Paul leaving them. They actually followed Paul all the way to Lystra and Derme to be able to revile his ministry and discredit him. And so not only were they content saying, hey, you should not believe this here, they followed Paul and said, hey, you should not believe his gospel here too. So they continued to persecute him. Paul gets stoned, and they drag him out. And the people thought that he was dead. But what does Paul do? He just gets up and goes right back to work like nothing happened. Verse 21, we see that there were many disciples. And, and then Paul wasn't just a go once and then never see them again. Paul actually goes back to the cities where he was persecuted. He goes back to Antioch, back to Lystra. He appoints elders. And these elders played a key role in starting these churches. And so I want you to see that Paul had really a key hand in starting in, uh, these churches. A lot of these believers, the first time that they ever heard the gospel was likely from Paul's mouth. And so Paul knows these believers. Paul was likely the first to preach the gospel to them. Many came to know Christ because of Paul's ministry. But not just that. Paul shared the gospel with them, but he also suffered for them. He suffered for them. He faced reviling at the hand of the Jews. He faced threats. He was stoned again. All of this he did for the sake of presenting them the pure gospel of Jesus. And so I want you to see the love, the love that Paul has for these churches. He loves these churches, and he wants to proclaim the gospel. He wants the gospel. He loves the gospel, and he wants the gospel to remain pure. So he risks his life for them. So the rest of Acts tells us that Paul moves on, right? He moves on. He goes, uh, he goes to other cities proclaiming the gospel. But then later, um, which is where we get to the book of Galatians, he hears 
He hears of the dangers before them. And so let's read verses six, Galatians 1, 6 through 9. So go back with me to the book of Galatians. And Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even we, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So why is Paul writing to them? One big picture, he really cares for them. As a pastor cares for his sheep and longs to see them do well and remain steadfast, Paul cares for the believers in Galatia. But why is specifically Paul writing? He wants them to turn back to the gospel. Some people have come in and have poisoned the minds of the believers. Likely, it's some of the same Jews that were there, that were reviling Paul and were discrediting his ministry. Those same men and women were there poisoning the minds of the believers. And so um, they have come to sort of the message of the gospel, and Paul's calling them back to what he preached to them. And what are these enemies accusing him of? So what are they accusing him of? He's not, they're not saying that Paul has everything wrong, per se, but they're accusing him of one very, very important thing, and I want this to be clear to you. They're accusing him of preaching an incomplete gospel. They're accusing Paul of preaching an incomplete gospel. In their view, more was needed. Okay, good, yes, Jesus died. You should believe in Jesus, but then more was needed. The blood of Jesus was not sufficient to pay for their sins. They also had to abide by works of the law. And specifically, as we'll see in the book of Galatians, Paul writes constantly against the work of circumcision, and that being a need that you need to be saved. But again, this is not new. If you actually, now go, actually don't go back. It's up on, going to be up on the screen. Acts 15. Acts 15, 1. So in the book of Acts, verse 1, okay, it's the same thing. And so it reads, uh, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay, this wasn't just a preference like, oh, I think it would be good for you to get circumcised. This was a gospel issue. Unless you get circumcised, you cannot be saved. In other words, Jesus and believing in Jesus is trusting in what he's done was not enough. You had to still do works. You still had to be circumcised. So they were preaching a gospel that depended not on God, but dependent on man. It's not a free grace gospel. It's a gospel that depends on what man can do. So that's the situation that Paul's addressing. This is the danger that they're in. And so, church, I want you to see that the same danger that plagued the Galatian church is alive still today. The danger of leaving the gospel of Jesus and turning to another gospel, not that there is another, is just as present today in our church and in our world as in the Galatian churches. This happened in Galatia. This happened in Judea in Acts 15. It's happening in churches all around us, right? We see this happening. We see, you know, how many people do we know that used to go to church before COVID and after COVID hit, you know, they're just like, oh, you know, I'm going to start trying out some other things. If we're not careful, this could happen here too. You just have to be aware of the dangers all around us. There's enemies that want to take our souls captive and not to Christ. Here's a quote by Luther. Griffin, if you don't mind putting it up. There we go. 
Luther says, A man labors for a decade before he succeeds in training his little church into orderly religion. And then some ignorant and vicious poltroon, poltroon being coward, uh, comes along to overthrow in a minute the patient labor of years. So what we have here in Galatians 1 is that Paul's years of labor for the Galatian churches are being undone quickly. And so see, church, the error can come in and can cause chaos quickly. This passage is a warning to the churches. And so the warning for you, church, is that you have enemies wanting to deceive you and take you away from the pure gospel. Our hearts deceive us. Because we have enemies from within and from outside. Okay? Our two main enemies that we're going to address here in the passage are our hearts and false teachers. Our hearts and false teachers. And so let's look at the false teachers one first. Let's look at verse 7. Paul says, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There are many teachings today in the world that seek to draw you away from Jesus. And as Paul, with pastoral concern and love, wants to keep the Galatians church from error, I want to protect you, and I want to warn you, and I long for you to remain steadfast. But before we think of some specific examples, and I think we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning just thinking of some examples that could, you know, be tempting to people in our church and to those that we know, I want you to think of this question. The question is, how does error creep into the church? Okay, how does error start? Especially in a church that's committed to, you know, sound teaching and uh, sound theology, how does error come in? Well, as you think about it, just like a wolf who wants to eat the sheep would not just come in, fangs out, scary, because the sheep would run away towards the shepherd, what would a wolf do? He would get dressed in sheep's clothing. You know, just like the devil, right? If you were to see your sin exactly as it was, you would not go to it because your sin is disgusting and evil and will lead you to death. But what does the devil do? He disguises sin. He makes it look pleasant and pleasurable, and it will actually give me what I want. And so in the same way, we should expect the false teaching will be dressed attractively. It will look good in many ways. And church, I want you to see that it is because you are committed to God, because you are committed to doing right before God, you want to live rightly before God, you want to make sure that you're honoring Him, the errors that you are prone to fall into will always have a level of piousness to them. Okay, I'm, I, I'm not as concerned for errors that are just so out there, they're just like, yeah, our churches would never, like, I'm not afraid of any of you becoming a Satanist tomorrow, for example, like, it's just so out there, right? But then there are errors that just look so good and so righteous that become a problem, even in good churches. Okay, they sound good, they seem good. If it was obviously wrong, we would reject it. But it seems like maybe it's coming from a good place, right? All error comes from a good place, usually at the end of the day. In fact, there's a German proverb that Luther quotes that says, all mischief begins in the name of God. All mischief begins in the name of God. And Luther also says there, Griffin, if you pull it up, um, he says, when a devil sees that he cannot hurt the cause of the gospel by destructive methods, he does it under the guise of correcting and advancing the cause of the gospel. 
So again, in other words, error will often start with a good thing, with a good aim, with a good purpose, or so it seems, to have a religious kind of sound to it, but will soon undermine the work of Christ if we're not careful. So in the name of Jesus, many will come insisting that, you know, you, you're doing well, you're doing well, but if you really want to be successful, if you really want the gospel to advance, what you need is actually this other thing. This is the thing that will get you to be faithful. This is the thing that will get Bloomington to believe the gospel. Okay, who, again, you hear that and you're like, well, I want to be fruitful, right? We want the gospel to succeed, don't we? Like, you should say, yes, we do. We want the gospel to succeed, right? We hear this, we do, and that's a good aim. But if we lose sight of how the gospel is sufficient to save sinners, we will want to add to the work of Christ instead of simply believing that it is enough. So church, be careful of shticks, right? This is what Pastor Josh would warn you of. Be careful of shticks, like this is the thing that you need. Be careful of that, okay? Be careful that you don't make that your gospel. Be careful if someone even hints at the fact that you need something else in order to be saved besides what Christ has already done. And so a few examples, right, of some false teaching and errors that can creep into the church, can creep into our hearts. The first example we're going to talk about is, you know, and you can tell I've been reading Luther, studying for this, it's the Roman Catholic Church, right? That should be no surprise when you hear of, you know, um, theologians, older men. Um, they will condemn the Roman Catholic Church. And for good reason, for good reason, we should do the same thing. Now you may think, well, I would never be tempted, right, by the Roman Catholic Church. I know it's wrong, but I believe it bears repeating. This warning and the danger bears repeating. There are, in fact, many people turning to the Catholic Church today. Okay? I have friends. I have friends from high school. I have friends that I know. I have, we have people who have come to our church who have turned to the Catholic Church because of friends or boyfriends or, you know, the appeal of the history of it. There are people turning away from Christ towards the Pope. And so what would the Catholic Church accuse us of? Okay, again, Paul was accused of preaching an incomplete gospel. So what would the Roman Catholic Church accused our church of, they would say, yeah, you have a lot of really good foundations. You have a lot of things right. But not only do you need faith in Jesus, you need other things to supplement your faith, right? You need tradition. You need, um, you need to be able to do meritorious works to receive forgiveness of your sins. And it gets really tricky, right? Because if you ask them, they would tell you that they, believe, they, would, they, they believe in justification by faith. Like, they would say those words. But what you have to be careful is that they don't believe in justification by faith alone. They don't. Preaching is a teaching in the Catholic Church. And so when you ask a Catholic what one has to do to be made right with God, they would say, and this is the position of the Catholic Church, they would say you have to believe in Jesus. Great. And then they say, and you have to be baptized. And you have to receive the Eucharist and do meritorious works, and not die with any moral sins. Hear this, church, hear this. Christ plus, Christ plus. It is not enough to believe the gospel in the Catholic Church, and therefore, you should not desert the gospel of Jesus for the Catholic Church. Number two, it's the Eastern Orthodox Church. It is terribly, terribly sad when someone leaves Christ's church to pursue the Eastern Orthodox Church. Now, what would they accuse us of? What would they accuse us of? They, again, would say, we have some things right. 
but you need more reverence in your worship, in your prayers. If you really want to understand the scriptures, you really need more tradition. And this danger is particularly present for those who look at the church, right? And many of us would look at the church and say, there's a lack of reverence in the churches in our day. We just don't have reverence for God. We come in, you know, like Joel said, we just take it for granted, like it's another day and it's cool that we get to see our friends. There's a lack of reverence in the church that is not good. And so again, right, that right desire of wanting to be reverenced before God, it's a good desire, but it can turn away pretty quickly if you're not careful. And so you long for more reverence, okay? We should express reverence, absolutely. But remember, they should not, it should not throw off the gospel when you're looking for misguided reverence. So the Eastern Orthodox Church rejects justification by faith, and so therefore, church, you must reject it as a false gospel. Now, those are kind of like the two big churches out there. But believe it or not, you can still fall prey of working for your salvation, of believing that your salvation depends on your works without calling yourself a Roman Catholic or an Eastern Orthodox. In fact, you often act and you think and you talk to others as if your salvation depends on your works and not on faith. So let me give you one example. We're going to be exploring this throughout the book of Galatians, and so I'm not, I don't want to exhaust this topic, but let me just give you one example when you will see this at play. What do you do after you sin? What do you do after your sin? If your first instinct is to think that you're no longer saved because you have sinned, you are making your salvation dependent on your works and not on God. And remember, your standing before God does not depend on your works, does not depend on your sins. If it did, we would all be lost. Your standing before God depends on what Jesus has done on the cross and the fact that he has paid for the penalty of the sins for those who have trusted in him and who said, I can't do this, Lord. You have to save me. So the Christian life, remember, it's a life of repentance. Life of repentance. Do you know what repentance implies? Repentance implies sinning. It means you are going to sin. Okay? You cannot repent if you have not sinned. And so the Christian life is a life of repentance. What do you do when you sin? You trust in God. You don't look to yourself and say, I can never be saved because, yes, on your own you can never be saved. But you look to God and you say, God, help me to turn away from this. I don't want to do this again. I know it displeases you. Would you help me and thank you for forgiving me? And you trust in that and not in what you can bring before God. So don't turn to yourself in despair. Trust God. Think of God more than you think of yourself. He's gracious. He extends grace to sinners like you, if only you would believe. Now, here's another lie. I don't know that I have a full grasp on this one, but I'm just going to throw it out, and you, hopefully it'll do some good. Okay? Uh, don't have to have it all fleshed out for it to be helpful, hopefully. But another lie in the world, and there's a teaching that is that you are enough. It is you are enough. You are worthy. Okay, we'll get into that in a second. But basically, instead of recognizing you, okay, we all know that we're sinners. We all know that we fail. We all know that we don't do what we want to do. Okay, but instead of recognizing those things as sins, you're encouraged instead to see the, the good in yourself, to recognize that you you, within yourself, you have the power to change. You have what it takes within. Okay, you can fail over and over and over, but that's okay. 
that's okay. You're still worthy. Okay? Don't worry about it. Here's one of my favorites that I read this week. Is, it says, to be happy, you don't need to be perfect. You just need to be real, right? authentic, and accept yourself as you are because you're already enough. You're already enough. Okay, so we see those things, we see those posts, and we laugh, right? Some of us are like, oh, you know, that's funny. Of course that's not right. Of course I'm not enough. Like, we think, that's silly. I would never believe that. Okay, but I want to warn you. This can creep in in our church. And this is especially, can be true for women. Okay, this is a temptation especially for women to believe. And I think the reason why is because, women, you long to be accepted, right, and loved, for who you are. You want to be loved, and even when you know that you sin and you will fail your husband, you want your husband to say, honey, that's okay, I still love you, right? You want to be accepted. You want to be loved. You want someone to appreciate you, to love you for who you are, right? All that you do, you just want someone to acknowledge it and to say, yes, that's good. And so it can be really appealing when you don't hear that, right? To hear someone say that you are, in fact, capable and strong and sufficient and you don't need anybody else out there. You are worthy. You are enough on your own. Now, that is not true. That is not true. And man, if you are married, I definitely encourage you. Make sure that you treasure your wife, that you tell her how much you love her and treasure her and cherish her so that she would not be tempted by these things, okay? If her husband loves her, you will be a protection to her from these errors. Because the only truth is that you're not good enough. Only God is good. You're not sufficient. Only God is. It's only God at work in you that makes you acceptable in the eyes of God. There's nothing we can bring that will make us acceptable before God. And so when you start demanding things, right? You start demanding things because you think you deserve them. Oftentimes you're operating as if you are enough and you've earned these things before God. Now, but this idea of having the power within to change also can affect men, also can affect men, and especially in recent years. And we see this in our society. We see it should not be a shock to any of us, right, that men are getting weaker and weaker and more effeminate every day. Men are told, right, we're told that we're the problem, that it's toxic masculinity that's bringing all the issues in the world. You hear these things, and you think, well, that's foolish. And so what men do is they see the foolishness of this world, they see the foolishness of transgender movement, they, th they see this is not right, and what they do is they begin to look for role models, for strong role models, the manly strong role models, right, which is good. The problem is that you start getting so caught up in what the world thinks that what you think is the thing that the world desperately needs in order to be able to be changed is to take the red pill, right? to take that red pill, and that is the thing that will change everything about the world. To be awakened to an understanding of truth in the world, that is what the world most desperately needs, and that is what I can bring. And again, this error comes from good, a good place, right? It comes, starts from a good place. Does the Bible affirm that there are differences in how God made men and women? Yes, absolutely. Does the Bible affirm that men should be strong and should not be weak? Yes, the Bible affirms that and calls men to be strong. But many in the red pill movement want you to look to yourself and within yourself instead of looking to God, right? 
Your righteousness, though, is not found in yourself or in your own understanding of the world. You're not made right. Man, you're not made right by following 12 rules for life. Simple as that. You are made right by the blood of Jesus alone. And yes, there's many good things that we can learn and grow in from others, but be very, very careful that you do not begin to shift the focus from God is the one doing the work in me to now all of a sudden it's about me and what I can do. Okay, it depends on God alone, not on your own strength. So those are some things that I think are dangerous to us in our hearts. And again, there's many, many other things, right? There's just countless of things. Our hearts are idol factories. So you just have to recognize we're all tempted by different things. And this is something that I think Paul is alluding to in verse 6. So Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly, so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Your heart is deceitful. Your heart is deceitful. On your own, on your own, you will desert the gospel of Jesus and the grace of God, and you will turn to look for yourself. And so there's many things that can draw you away from Christ. Fear of man, right? Fear of man will draw you away from Jesus. Trusting in marriage as the thing that will save you will take you away from Jesus. And let me give you just a warning with that too, because it is just sad to see how many marriages are torn when one spouse has such an unrealistic expectation of the other, becomes dissatisfied, and in the name of happiness, starts to look for satisfaction somewhere else. If we could write a book about how a lot of the problems in our world today begin, you know, a lot of the introduction probably would be, instead of saying, once upon a time, it would say, surely God wants me to be happy. It would be kind of the introduction. Surely God wants me to be happy. And in the name of that, in the name of that, we go into all sorts of errors. So what I want to encourage you here, if you're married, and if you have a spouse that will go to church with you, that is open to correction and to teaching, cherish them. Okay? Cherish them as a gift of God. Cherish them and love them and seek to be faithful to them. So other things, if you want comfort more than God, you will reject Christ's cross. If you are drawn to the love of money, okay, what does 1 Timothy tells us? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils, and it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. There's so many things that can draw us away from Jesus, church. Don't be lazy. But this is an error, too, that I want to warn, especially those of you here this morning that love to read theology, that love to learn, that, you know, I, and I see this error and I see this warning, and at the same time, right, I want to commend that. I want to commend that and encourage you. We want you to grow. We want you to learn. We want you to be instructed and equipped, right? And there's good resources out there. But what I want to warn you of is that even the best of intentions can go astray, right? Without the proper protections for your hearts, you can also open yourself to be deceived. If you're just collecting teachers all over the place, you can open yourself to being deceived. So be cautious. Be cautious what you hear, who you hear. Be careful that you do not become a disciple of your celebrity pastor and be drawn away from what you receive at church. Remember, especially for men, modern men, right? People change. People change. 
And that is a danger. So don't be so committed to your online favorite pastor that you overlook their errors. Right? If you're following at all, and you know the example of Andy Stanley, like you see, that's just a great example of a man showing his true colors. And you see that this is, the writing has been on the wall for a while, but now it's just coming out very clearly. Okay? Stay away from him. That is because men change. And you say, well, he was so helpful to me 10 years ago. Well, be careful. That's all I'll say. Be careful. You open yourself to being deceived. You know, and that's one of the reasons why sometimes you're like, well, why does, why does, Joel, why is Joel always encouraging me to read uh, men from, no, books from men that are dead, right? Like, their writing is so hard to understand. Like, I don't, I don't know half the stuff that's, why does Joel encourage me to read these books? Well, partly is because dead men can't change their opinions, okay? And so there's a comfort to knowing that these dead men are not going to teach you something that will draw you away from Christ. This teaching has been tested over time. So yes, church, you should have a desire. You should want to grow in knowing God's word, but just do it wisely and just do it knowing that there are dangers out there. If you're not aware of the dangers, you can become so passionate, right, about something and actually be a hindrance to the work of the gospel in the church. Things like, right, let me give you examples, things like, does God care about how we worship him? Does God care about how we worship him? Yes, God cares about how we worship him. Now, does God care about how we parent? Does God care about how we parent? God cares that we parent in a godly manner, right? Now, is that a free pass then? to take your preference about how you think we should worship and parent and make it a matter of conflict within the church? The answer is no. The answer is no. Do you not get so passionate about something or hold your opinions too tightly that you begin to divide the church? There's dangers everywhere. Everywhere. And I just want you to see that. I want you to see that there's dangers everywhere. Satan is at war. Satan is always looking whom he will devour. So be careful that you do not disrupt the work of God in a church. Paul sees that here in the Galatian churches and it's calling them back. Church, we don't want to have to call you back. We want to protect you from the errors that are at bay. And so what is my exhortation for you this morning? What is my exhortation for you as a church? Well, before I do that, let me see. What is Paul's criticism? Paul is criticizing the Galatian church for not having been more settled in their beliefs, for not being for not having stood on the gospel of Jesus that they received and turning away from it. And so, church, for you, my exhortation is hold firm to the word of God. Hold firm to your Bibles. Okay, read it. Know your Bible. Treasure it. Love it. Commit it to memory. See this as the word of God and don't seek to add anything else to it. You will be protected from so many errors if you know what your Bible says. If you know what your Bible says, this is, what, this is the word of God that we stand upon. Okay? We are not here coming to teach you anything else but what is revealed in the scriptures. And so commit it to memory, treasure it, be in it constantly because it is the Bible that has the, alone that has the words of eternal life. So read it, believe it, apply it. And as you do that, church, as you do that, and as you see many dangers around you, hope in God. Hope in God. He is the one that will keep you and trust that he will protect you. How do we know that? Well, one, he will deal with our enemies. He will deal with the enemies. Verses 8 and 9. 
But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul is so committed to the gospel of Jesus that he would rather first hypothetically curse himself than say the gospel will be distorted because of me. And so there is a protection from God because we know that false teachers will be judged. Okay, teachers, they are judged on what they teach. That's why they're held to a higher standard. They will be judged with greater strictness, is what James tells us. And so us pastors, right, and elders, we should take this very seriously into heart because we know not only did Paul say it once, he reassured it right after in the next verse. They let them be a curse. God will curse those who distort the gospel. So trust God because he will deal with your enemies. He will deal with your enemies. And two, he has given you help for your wicked heart. And your two enemies, the world, false teachers, your heart, God has given you help for both of them. God's spirit is at work in you. If you have trusted in him to teach you and to sanctify you, something seems off, just begin to listen. God has also given you a church, right? And shepherds and a community and small groups and people who love you and who long to see you walking in the truth. So take advantage of these graces, okay? Don't despise them, don't neglect them, but take advantage of the, church, of the graces that you have been given. Been given. Blooming the Bible Church, you have been giving the true gospel of Jesus Christ. You have been given to it Sunday after Sunday, week after week, conversation after conversation. You have received the gospel of Jesus, the true gospel. And so I want to exhort you to guard it and to walk in it. And if you ask yourself, well, how do I know if I have received the true gospel? Well, it's because what we proclaim to you is found in his word. We have not come up with this. We have not come up with any of it. We just teach you and proclaim to you what is revealed in the scriptures and what has been sealed in the scriptures and nothing else. So we know, church, there is no other gospel. God is holy and righteous, and you're not. You have sinned against a holy God, and you deserve to suffer the consequences. You're not good enough. You're not worthy. You are guilty and deserving of God's eternal wrath. But think about it. Even before you can even recognize and think that you needed a way to be saved, God saw your condition in love. He loved you so much as his enemy that he sent his only son, Jesus, to live that life that you were called to live that you could not live. He lived that life. He received the death that you were supposed to receive. You, he died the death you deserved to die. He took your punishment on his behalf and instead gave you his righteousness. That is the gospel. He defeated death and was raised victoriously. And so now, church, we believe in his work on the cross as sufficient for the remission of our sins. You are forgiven in Christ and not in what you can do. His work is enough. You don't need tradition. You don't need works to be made right with God. Your standing with God is sure because Jesus' work is sure, not because you are sure. And so now you need to have faith. Faith, which is a gift from God. Faith and believe in the grace of God who made it all possible for you to be forgiven, reconciled to him, and adopted and united with God himself. 
So resolve yourself to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Let's pray, church. Most gracious Father, we um, acknowledge that there are enemies all around us that would love nothing more than to draw us away from you. So, Father, we do pray for protection. We pray that you would guard us and you keep us as you have so far, that as you have been faithful to our church for 11 years, Lord, that you would continue to be faithful. Father, would you encourage us to treasure your word, to be firm in it, to not want to depart from it to the left or to the right. May our hearts just love you and know the voice of our shepherd so well that when we hear other voices calling us, Lord, we would be able to reject them because we know that you as a father care for us and will protect us and we don't want to run away from you. For those of us this morning, Lord, who have not trusted in you as our Savior and who have sought to live as if it depended on our works, Father, may you open our eyes to recognize that we cannot bring ourselves to you. Our works are not sufficient to bring ourselves to you, Lord. But it is only the blood of Jesus that has cleansed us. And so help us, Lord, to believe and to trust and to live accordingly, trusting you and loving you with all our hearts. Thank you, Father, for your church and the gift that the church is and the graces that we have to be helped even in, with our enemies all around us. So we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.